And only T-ball can you get away with this, right? So I would walk up with her and uh, kind of have my hands like right here on her shoulder and kind of take her to where she needs to stand by the T. And uh, then we would take my hands off. I'd say, you ready? And she's like, yeah. I was like, okay, swing the bat. I think her name was Caitlin. And somewhere, she's about 25 years old now, <laughs> somewhere living life and, and doing her thing. And um, I'd say, swing. And she would swing and hit the ball. And I would say, okay, run. And like, I would say, come on. And like, we would have to run down to first base or Lord knows she might go to third first and to do those things. We don't quite know, but we would take them and then we would get all these little people and we would line them up in a row along a first baseline and we would teach them the ready position like okay and we called it the crocodile right and they would have to get down and they would uh, do not the crocodile the alligator it's been so long so they get them you do this you know the alligator was ready and they would scream ready and do all this stuff right and and uh and we go down there and so much fun to be had and then you know one of my most fun places to ask someone if they're ready is uh backstage with the groom before a wedding oh what oh Man, what a privilege. I think I would have become a pastor just to be able to stand back there with them. They are so freaked out and so nervous. They've never, like, if, they, if, they're, if they're doing it right, they haven't seen their beautiful bride in her dress and hair on which she's going to walk down. And I usually say something about the guy to kind of loosen the tension. I say to him, hey, listen. We're just going to walk out there. You're stuck with me. We're going to walk out there together. No one cares about you. You're in a rented tux that you're going to give back later today. But there is somebody that you get to be with today that they're going to stand when she's ready to walk in and they're going to turn. She gets a special song. She has a dress that she's only going to wear today and it's going to be stuck in the closet. But they paid so much money for this dress. And, and it's all about like all this. She gets the, the flower kids walking down and the procession. And bro, you, we, just, we just walk like from the, from the back. No song, no nothing. It usually kind of solves the guy's uh, problem, makes him laugh a little bit. And then I say to them, all right, you ready? Yeah. And then what I like to do is I like to stand where I could see him, right? I kind of, he's usually right here with me. And I just want to look at his face. And when they open that door, I can tell, even if I'm not looking back there, I can tell when she walks in by the look on his face. There is no other look when a man's standing there, nervous as all get out, and here she comes. And maybe her father's giving her away, maybe an uncle, maybe a brother, but as they walk down and, and his face just is like, whoa, whoa, are you, are you kidding me? I wasn't ready for that. No man is usually ready. And one friend of mine, I did their wedding, and uh, oh man, I didn't think his, his, uh, I didn't think his wife was going to make it. I thought this was going to be tragedy. I thought this was going like, to end up on some sort of blooper, you know, America's Funniest Videos or something. Something's going to go horribly wrong. Because as she was walking down, I mean, it was Niagara Falls. It was, I thought she was getting ready to have a, 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 a panic attack. It's because I've had to walk, some brides have warned me. I have panic attack. Okay, but I know. We'll be all right. We'll walk through this. And so as she made it down and she's crying and I'm looking at him and he's like, oh, oh. They weren't quite ready for that, were they? Ready. You ready. Sometimes I've had the, the unfortunate um, situation to sit with people as they, as they lose, lose a loved one. And you see, so you ready? You all right? And do this? 
Your loved one's going to meet the Lord now, and are you ready to face this? Sometimes I've stood with people backstage getting ready to come out for a funeral. And I said, are you ready? You ready for this? You ready? Whoa. Intense moments, right? Of this kind of readiness. I think sometimes there's this pause in our life that we take because we need to be ready. We should be ready. There's something coming our way that maybe we don't fully understand the, the, the magnificence of it. We don't fully understand how great it's going to be. We, we kind of have this anticipation. We've been told it's going to be wonderful. We've been told it's going to be great. We've been told it's going to be challenging. We've been told it's going to be hard. But we're not quite sure. We've never walked down that road before, either the roads of beauty and the roads of magnificent joy and, the, and all of the happiness, or even the road of, of pain and the road of agony and, and, and what this is going to cost us and how we're going to navigate this and are we going to make it and is it God God going to give us what we need and in so many places of our lives where we're really happy and really excited but we're wondering man can I really can I really do this can I this is wonderful but do I have what it takes to really succeed in this I'm so glad I'm here today but man do I really have like what it takes and then other times this is so hard this is so challenging how am I going to make it through this is this do I really have in this question of readiness seems to be always coming to us and ask us are you ready for the next thing you ready for tomorrow you ready? I know there's some gentlemen right now in this hour, they're getting ready. They're putting on some pads, putting on some helmets, and they're like, we're ready. Let's go. I mean, this is like their life dream, right? Their life dream is to play in this game today that they get to go out and to do. And, and for some of them, maybe they're, they're not ready. I, I remember um, I played high school football. You know, I... We're family, right? So I had to pee every bo- before every game. It was, it was, I, I couldn't, I, sorry that I, I called it the pre-game pee-pee squirts. Is that inappropriate to say in church? That's what I called it because I really didn't have to go to the bathroom. I was just nervous. And my freshman year, and I thought I had to go to the bathroom, I'd run in the bathroom and I just didn't go. And it was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And by the time I made the varsity football, I'm like, oh, whatever, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't have to pee. I just think I do. And after the first boom, it was like, oh, life is great, and we play, right? I just said pregame PB squirts in church. It's like, and that's the only thing you guys are going to remember this sermon, right? They're going to talk about this great passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 1, and you're going to be like, Pastor said PP. Sorry. But we're family. And hopefully now I have your attention, if we didn't already. But in Acts chapter 1, we see these kind of signs with these, with these group of, of individuals. Man, you, you talk about a group. You had, you had 11 of the 12 disciples, 11 of the 12 original disciples. Judas had gone out and, and, and hung himself because of the, the stone. We'll talk about that a little bit. But then um, you had Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Um, who, man, can you imagine what Mary must have been experiencing this first part of Acts where she had been at the crucifixion scene she had watched her her son be crucified and then she lived for three days with that agony in her heart in the pictures you imagine trying to sleep after seeing that I kind of that is unimaginable to me to that picture that Mary the 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 PTSD that she would have had right I mean I mean after seeing your son crucified are you that and then three days living with that and then the joy the inexpressible joy of a mother who thought she had lost her son, and here he's, he's like, he's back. <laughs> You're like, wow. And then to see like her son 
ascend up into the heaven. That must have been a mixed bag for her. They were sitting just wondered, what would that, I mean, that would have been. Yeah, he's, he left, but he was crucified. He came back, and he's alive, and he's alive, and he's still alive, and he's doing this, like, mission of God, renewal, everything plan that Jesus is doing. And then you had these disciples that were sitting around, so they had this, this command to stay in Jerusalem. And they had this promise of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was going to actually be in them. They knew what it was like. They had read about the prophets, but the Holy Spirit was on them and they spoke prophecies. But this new thing that God was going to do, this new way that God was going to lead His people, it was no longer going to be about a temple and a tabernacle. It was no longer going to be making decisions as you'll see one of them today. But now it was going to be an internal Spirit of God indwelling them and moving them forward into a whole new way of living. That what Jesus had begun in his own death and resurrection, he now was going to continue through this group of people, through these wonderful, we got about 120 folks that were sitting there, and God was going to take these 120, and within the next 10 days, he was going to radically change the course of human history, and he was radically going to change the world as they knew it. Nothing ever, ever, ever would be the same the way God ministered and works through people, the way God speaks to people, the way he leads people, what he was going to be doing globally all over the world was never been done like this before. And Jesus says to them, listen to me, listen, I'm giving you this promise, I'm giving you this instruction, and I need you to wait. Are you ready? You're ready for what I'm about to do. Because Jesus says, I'm going to go, you're going to sit. You're going to wait. Now as I dove into this passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 26, I started noticing some things that God had done with this group of 120 people to prepare them to be ready for this arrival in a brand new way of His Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you about those things today. And I've entitled them Initial Signs of Maturity Toward Readiness these signs. And what I want you to do as we look at these together today, I just want you to ask yourself a question as we collectively ask ourselves a question. I want you to ask yourself, do I have these four? Do I have these four? Am I I ready for that next thing that God is going to do in my life? Am I ready for that next season? Are we ready for that next season? And the first one we find in verse 12, and it is this, a willingness to obey in the face of danger. A willingness to obey in the face of danger. Are you willing to do that? Are you saying to yourself, Lord, I am ready for this next season of my life. I'm ready for the next part of the journey. I'm ready for the next step. Lord, lead me in this next step. Well, as Jesus would say, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Which means, first thing, he told them to do in verse 12 was this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Whoa. Now, you might ask, well, what's the big deal? Stay in Jerusalem. Well, see, all hell had broken loose in Jerusalem, it had become a mess. It, it, it was all turned upside down. 
on the night you look at Jesus' death and his betrayal, sorry, his, his arrest, in Luke chapter 22, you kind of notice what was taking place. And where Jesus spent this last night where he had the last supper is what we call it, when he shared with them the, the Passover meal and he, he started to tell them what this new Passover meal meant, what the bread meant that was now his, representing his body broken for them and his blood now, the wine now represented the blood he spilled to cleanse their sins. In this room, we think, most people think that that's where they went. They had this meeting with Jesus the night of his betrayal and then they uh, have gone back to this place, and so they're back in that room, but Jerusalem had become, you can see here in Luke 22, kind of what, what had happened, where it says here to, um, on this night where Jesus is speaking to Peter, but he reverts to his old name and calls him Simon. He reverts to his old name. So his name was Simon, Jesus t- changed it to Peter. So it was, basically the word Simon means I have big ears and I'm just, every time I hear something, oh, what? Oh, what? And I'm controlled by what I hear. So when I hear something negative, I get negative. When I hear somebody doubt me, well, then I get like this person. That's what Simon means. Simon means that. But Peter means rock. Peter means stone. So he had changed his name from, "Uh uh-oh, you're all over the place, to you're a rock. But now Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he goes back and he calls him Simon. He goes back, you're you're going back to here now. You're going back to this person with with it's being controlled by what you hear so he says Simon Simon Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat do you mean I'm saying you here in Jerusalem all hell was breaking loose when Jesus was being betrayed when Jesus was being arrested when Jesus was being led away to Caiaphas and then the Pilate Jesus was being illegally tried in the middle of the night in some backwoods kind of court and Satan was before, kind of like in the, if you read the story of Job, you have, the, you have Satan going to the throne of God, which kind of blows our mind. And God saying, have you considered Job? So we know from the book of Job, one of the oldest books in Scripture, we know that Satan has access to the throne of God, and, and he asked permission to do things to God's people. That, that, is, that is crazy, when you start thinking about the day-to-day life that you and I live and some things that go on in our life, do you realize that some things that take place in your life is because Satan has gone to the throne of God and asked permission to do something in your life? And do you realize that all of the stuff that comes our way, God had to say yes to? That's, that, that's a whole other package of sermons, Pastor. I know. But let me just give you this today, that whatever is taking place in your life, be it because God has allowed Satan to come in and do things to you, sift you, know that God is working in a bigger way beyond that. And there's a purpose that God has allowed him to do that. But also know this, that if Satan came before the throne of God and asked permission to do something to you that was going to ruin you, that was going to take you out, God would simply say no. And God would not allow any of that to come to your life. So whatever you're facing Maybe it's so hard for us to understand why would God let this happen? I know that's such a hard question. But as you wait, God will always bring an answer to that. And so Satan had asked on this night of Jesus' betrayal, but Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Do you get this amazing, you have the throne of God, Satan. Can I sift your disciples as we, let's see really what they're made of. Let, let's, let's, run, let's run your disciples through the gamut, God. Let's take them through. 
Let, let's see what they're made of. So you have Satan talking and then you have Jesus, but I've prayed for you. So Satan's accusing. Satan's saying, can I attack? And Jesus is praying. Jesus is seeking God too. That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So what was taking place when Jesus was being arrested and then Peter went into this three-phase denial of Jesus, it was Satan working him. And, but look at the plan. Jesus says this. He says, when you turn back. So Satan knows, or Satan was trying to ruin him. Jesus goes, listen, I'm going to let Satan come in and sift all of you. All hell is going to break loose during this time, but I'm going to help you. You're going to turn back. You're going to be fine. You're good. And he says, when you turn back, strengthen your brother. So you're going to come back stronger. So whatever Satan is doing in your life, whatever Satan has gotten permission from the Father to do in your life, God already knows how he's going to bring you through that, and you're going to be stronger on the other end. Joke's on the devil. Do you think about your life like that? You see, this has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with who's president. This has absolutely nothing to do with the shape of our government. Nothing. Nothing. Do you see if we're all down here, all, is he going to get impeached? Is he going to get removed? Is it this? Who's lying? And that's this, da, 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 da. Meanwhile, God's here going, huh. Satan's talking to God, Jesus, because he lives it forever to, re, to provide intercession for us. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's praying for you all the time. See, we're, just, we're all caught up here, and God's like, are you ready? You're going to think with me up here? Wow, this is such a powerful passage of Scripture where he says here, but he replied, this is Peter, but he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Then Jesus asked him, verse 35, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, this is when he sent them out two by two, earlier in the gospel story. He says, you lacked nothing. You, I told you not to take anything with you. Don't take any food. Don't take anything with you. You lacked nothing. Then he answered, he said to them, but now you have a purse. Now you're going to need something. Before you didn't. Now you do. Take it. Also a bag. And if you have a sword, excuse me, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. You see what Jesus is telling them on the night of his betrayal? Hey, listen, I sent you out to do ministry before. I said, don't take any extra shoes. Don't take any extra clothes. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Everything's going to be provided for you. It's going to be a great time of ministry. He says, now, oh, no, no, now, no, no, no. This is a totally different deal because around here in Jerusalem, all hell is breaking loose. Satan is wreaking havoc. And if you don't have a sword, go buy one. Sell your clothes and get one. You need one because this is a bad time. This is a terrible time. And so he says there, verse 37, as it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Jesus, what, what excuse me, yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. He said, that's enough. So no wonder, if you go down a few verses to verse 47, Peter then did what he did, right? 
Because now Jesus has got them ready to fight. And now Peter's like, it's on. It's like, okay, Jesus, you told us to do whatever, get a sword. All right, we're good. We got two right here. Give me one, Peter says. I don't know what you guys, 10 of you, you can split the other one somehow, but I'm taking this one. And so verse 47, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. And he approached Jesus, kissed him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw that he, what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? And one of them didn't wait for an answer. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with me, come to me with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. <laughs> so Jesus is like, here we go. What has been said of me is going to happen. Satan has asked, can I just run your people through? I'm going to sift your people like wheat. And Jesus is like, here we go. We're stepping into this darkness is reigning in Jerusalem tonight. And so, when Jesus said to them after his death and resurrection and after 40 days had passed when he was teaching them about the kingdom of God and all continued to be in an uproar all around Jerusalem because now no longer was it Jesus was crucified. Now they're claiming that he came back. And now over 500 people in Jerusalem are testifying that they've been with Jesus. And the religious leaders are up in arms and they want to arrest everybody and they want to quiet everybody and they want to get rid of everybody. So Jerusalem is an absolute mess. But Jesus says to them, stay right there in that mess and I'm going to give you the promise of the Holy Spirit. Stay right there in the mess. Stay in the chaos. Stay where it's dangerous. Stay where I've told you Sell everything, you, sell your clothes if you need to to get a sword. Stay right there. So if we're ready, if we're ready for the next phase in our life, then perhaps God is saying to us, do you have a willingness to obey me in the face of danger? And the next thing that we notice, number two, in the, in the, in the text from, 12 and from verses uh, 13 and 14 is this. They had a unified devotion to prayer. A unified devotion of prayer. Notice verse 13 and 14, and I'll move quicker through the rest of this message. It says this, And when they had entered, that's back to the upper room in Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were in one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there they were. There they were, praying. I don't know what they were praying. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, save us. Lord, I guess we're going to get arrested too. Lord, I guess this is the end. Lord, help me, give me strength to die gracefully. <laughs> give me strength to be arrested gracefully. What if just, I don't know. But notice a few things. That the arrival of the Holy Spirit did not depend on their prayer. 
they were praying because the Holy Spirit was coming. That's a very distinct difference because God wants to do things in your life. You need and I need to be unified in prayer so that we're able to hear him receive and move forward in it. Our prayers are not to be, oh God, have, you know, I have an idea. Oh God, why don't you do this? Oh God, let me present my plan to you and ask for you to bless it. God doesn't want your plan. He already has one. He already knows what he's going to do in this next step in your life. He already knows what he's going to do in the next step of our life together as a community. He already knows. We don't need to ask him to do anything. We simply need to be in unified prayer together, seeking the will of God. Seeking the plan of God. So if you're in a place where God is asking, are you ready for the next thing? Don't give God your ideas. He doesn't need them. You need his ideas. You need his plan. We need his plan. Daniel's description of how God works is applicable to this prayer, and perhaps, perhaps this was somewhere around the avenue of what they had been praying, but I just want to bring you, because Daniel seemed to understand God in, in a very unique way, and, and God spoke to Daniel in a way that allowed Daniel to understand the future and what God was going to do. So in Daniel, we kind of pick this idea up. Daniel answered and said, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. You see? You see all that? That's why we need, because God is this, we need to pray that we step into his understanding and his knowledge and we will begin to be ready. We will begin to show the signs of being mature and saying that I am willing to stay and obey in the face of danger. I'm willing to stay in the mess. And I'm willing to unite with brothers and sisters in prayer seeking the will of God. And then the third sign of maturity is a biblical view of current events. That you're able to look at the world and go, oh, well, okay, this is taking place today in my world and this is what the scriptures say and I can see how that makes sense. I can see how what's going on in my life, whether they're getting ready to see the bride come down or I'm asking you if you're ready to move through the funeral. Whatever stage of that we're in, whatever we're asking ourselves, what are we ready for? And Jesus, is this the type of prayer that we need to have? And we need to be able to look and say to ourselves, okay, what does the Bible say about this in my life? What does the Bible say about the joys of life? What does the Bible say about the heartaches of life? and to be able to view them accordingly. Notice verse 15 through 20. Peter, now he's, he's starting to grow up a little bit. He's starting to mature. He's still a little wobbly, but he's starting to get it. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, 
the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So David, Peter is like, all right guys, we're sitting here for 10 days waiting and we're praying, but the Bible said some things that we need to do like right now. Okay, so in the middle of this chaos, Peter, moved by the Holy Spirit, is to recall the words of David in two separate Psalms. And he quotes them and he says, Brothers, Scripture had to be fulfilled, spoken of by the Spirit beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted with his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And you're disturbed because I said pee-pee squirts. I didn't say that, so. This is what happened. That Judas got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus. And then when remorse filled his heart and pain filled his heart, regret filled his heart, he tried to give the money back, but they wouldn't receive the money because it was blood money. So it's like, what do I, ah. He buys this field and hung himself to the point where some scholars, because another text says he hung himself, and they kind of paint this picture, and I don't know why I read these things, but they paint this picture of him jumping off of a cliff and the rope being around his neck and his body tearing in half when he did that, and that's the way his life ended in regret for rejecting Jesus. And so now you have this plot of land and this disturbing image and this horrible event. And Peter's like, hey, as horrible as this is, as terrible as this is, as scary as this moment is where we're sitting here waiting, we have a job to do. We have something that we need to do. We need to replace Judas because that's what we've been told to do. For he says, and it became known through all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their language, Akaldema, which means the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Those two Psalms, Psalm 69 and 109, were quoted there by Peter. And Peter says, well, we need to replace Judas because that's what David told us to do in the Psalms. And so he has a biblical view of what's going on. Finally, you have someone looking and going, wait a minute. Jesus just fulfilled all of these prophecies. And he's told us to sit here and wait. Well, as we're doing this and as we're praying, the Scriptures have told us that Judas, the betrayer, needs to be replaced. So they set out to replace him, which leads us to our fourth and final observation, which is the ability to select proper leadership. You see, when a group can do that, when a community can do that, it's ready for the next step. So you have verses 21 through 26. So it says where Luke writes, so one of the, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of those men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry 
and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots before them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So we see some very strange things going on here, but some things that we can get our minds around. And, and as we, as a, as a community, and as we, as, as, as people that um, have a, I guess, privilege to, to vote and to do these things and participate in the civic, kind of our civic duties and to do those things, we have that, but we also have roles here in our church community that, that we need to choose the right leaders and, and to do that sort of thing. And... Um, so there's all sorts of things going on here that we could discuss, but I'd simply want to do this and ask you this. Are you praying this prayer? Are you praying this prayer regards to who you vote for? Are you praying this prayer in regards to who we allow to lead here at our church? And I'll remind you of this prayer when it says this, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Hmm. So it's a heart matter. It's a heart issue. Okay? Show which one of these two you have chosen. What a prayer. What a prayer. Now there's also this issue of casting lots where always people get a little confused. There were these little stones with different symbols on them. We don't really know exactly. We don't have a lot of evidence about what they really look like. <laughs> Some people have equated it um, to, to throwing dice that they would have brought the two gentlemen up here and maybe Peter or one of the others would come and throw the stones in this one and gather throw the stones in front of this one and according to the symbols God would speak somehow there's very we don't really know a lot of the details about how how this how this all took place and it's good reason we don't because then you and I would probably try to do it again notice there are some things in the Bible that they did back there that you and I don't have a lot of details and then those things stopped they were supposed to stop, and God didn't give us the details because we're silly and we would go do that again when we're not supposed to. This is the last time in recorded Scripture that this took place because now this is the last point where they were depending on these kind of things because they were about to receive the promise where the Holy Spirit was now going to dwell in them. And then when you see them all throughout the book of Acts choose leaders, it says it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit becomes the phrase. There's no more casting of lots. They're simply praying and asking that the Holy Spirit would lead them and it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit, we move forward. And so things would begin to change. You see in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says this. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision, excuse me, but its every decision belongs to the Lord, is from the Lord. So we don't need to do those things anymore. We can receive wisdom on choosing leaders directly from the Holy Spirit. So then the question for you is this then as we finish. Are you ready for God to do a great work in your life? Now notice, all the way back to my title of this, initial signs of maturity towards readiness. Initial. These are like the beginning signs. The church was by no means mature. <laughs> no means did they have it all together. By no means were they perfect. There was going to be mistake after mistake after mistake. Wrong thing corrected after wrong thing corrected. They were babies brand new at this. This was a new move of God. They did not have it all down. I'm not asking you, 
are you perfect? I'm not asking, are you a you know, maturity giant? Not a, I'm just saying, are you showing the initial signs of maturity? Are you ready to take baby steps towards the next things that God wants to do in your life? These are the beginning steps. Some people read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and they think this is defining super-Christians. No, it's just mere Christianity. It's the basics. The basics of the basics. The, you know, you're still in diapers, but you can walk like an orangutan basis. That's what all little babies walk like, right? They got their arms out and they're like this. And that, that's kind of what the church was right now. The church had its diaper on and it was just like this. Walking along. And Jesus is like, come on. You got it. So I'm just asking you personally and us as a community, are we showing these things? Are we willing to obey in the face of danger? Are we willing to be united in prayer? Are we willing to view what takes place around us through the biblical lens? And do we have the ability to select proper leadership? So are we ready, finally? Are we ready as a church for God to do great things through us. Well, these are the four things that I think are found in the initial stages of God's great move called the, the church, the ecclesia. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. What did God do first? First, He shaped and molded these men and women. He shaped and molded them and brought them to a place to where they were ready to do these four things. So I'm asking you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life. And let him move you in a direction that you can do these four things. And I'm asking you as your pastor that we would take courage and at least be able to say that as a community, we're ready to do these four things. Amen? Father, we thank you today for your word and for these amazing people that must have gone through so much, Lord, and so many things taking place. We can't imagine what it must have been like to be Mary during this time. Um, the sorrow and then the joy and then the mix of sorrow and joy as all that took place. can't imagine to um, experience um, what it must have been like to be Peter and to totally, totally wreck it and then uh, have you restore him and bring him back. Um, Lord, we, we do have a little bit of sense sometimes, at least I do, about replacing a leader that has, has um, decided to, to ruin their lives. Um, been there. But Father, these, these things, these four things, Lord, they seem so basic. And I'm just asking you a question, Lord, that as we take communion today, as we, as we share in these elements, that Lord, you would, uh, you would use them to pour grace into our life and Lord, I'm asking you that you get each individual at least to this place in their life to where they're ready for the next step in their journey. So many, Father, walk away from you in transitions of life. High school into adulthood, young adulthood into middle age, middle age into older adult. There seem to, these transitions, Lord, people aren't ready to make transitions. They, they do all kinds of dumb stuff. And so, Father, I pray that each individual here today, no matter where they find themselves, that they're ready for this next step in their journey with you. And, Father, as a congregation, 
Lord, been here five years, and, and Lord, I'm asking that, I'm praying and I'm hoping that it, at least, perhaps, that our church as a community can walk like a little baby with its diaper on, that maybe we've learned to sit up a little bit, maybe we've learned to walk a little bit. We're not running yet. We're not jumping over things yet. But Father, I pray that our church is at least displaying these four things. And so I pray, Lord, for each person, each person, Lord, that says, I want to be a part of this community and I want to see God do great things through this community in this area. I pray that they would at least be willing to do those four things. We love you. We ask, Lord, you speak to your people today as they reflect upon your word through the taking of communion. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we receive communion,